Uh, maybe you've called someone up on the phone and you've spoken to them on the, on the phone. I often do this uh, in town if I'm uh, you know, ordering food or, or ordering something uh, to, to purchase. Uh, I like to do my research. So I'm not going to bother going to the store and then asking them that they've got something. I'm going to call them up and say, do you have this? Can you have it ready at the counter for me? Sounds like I'm... <laughs> sounds rude, but as in, I'm not going to go and browse. I'm not really a browser, so you can understand the uh, tremendous effort it is for me to go shopping with my wife. Uh, but anyway, I call up on the phone and I'll say, all right, and sorry, what was your name? Okay, Mark, all right. So when I get there, I'm going to ask for Mark and he's going to have this for me. And uh, the amount of times I go there and I'm like, oh, I was just talking with Mark. Um, he's got something for me. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> Who's, is this Mark? And, and the, the expectation that I had in my head of just hearing Mark's voice and what he sounds like to who he is in, in, in the flesh is like, wow, that is nothing like I thought. You know, have you had that? Were you talking to someone? You're like, okay, you know, this guy's like six foot ten and he's like huge and you show up and he's like, he's barely looking over the counter. Or, you know, the expectations are, are just like, that is so far off. I'm going to show you a, uh, a video of a, uh, a weightlifter. This guy is... Um, is like seriously strong, and uh, he's, he's called the anab anabolic athlete. And I wonder when I show you a video of an athlete uh, or, or a weightlifter, I wonder already you've got an expectation in your mind of what an athlete does and, uh, and what an athlete or what a weightlifter looks like. So we'll just, we'll just roll that and uh, get a load of this guy. That is not the picture that you think of when you think of an athlete. Like the first time I heard of this guy, I was like, what? Like what is this guy? Like do you see him doing the splits on that chair? He does that with, a, uh, with weights above him. He does that with up to like 120 kilos over his head. I'm just going, what is this? Like that is not the picture that you have uh, in your mind when you think of a weightlifter. And they're doing flips and doing all this kind of flexibility stuff. Normally... All the men are like, yeah, you know, yeah, I get it, Matt. All the women are like, what do you mean? You know, normally weightlifters aren't overly um, flexible like that. Like a man doing a splits in itself to me is like, just defies expectations. One, one more example of this before, um, oh, maybe a couple more. David and Goliath. Imagine a conversation in the camp of the Israelites um, uh, when Goliath has been challenging uh, the armies of, of Israel and saying, who's going to come out and face me? And for days, no one goes. And then a rumor kind of spreads through the camp. Someone's coming. Someone's going to go out and face him. Someone's finally going to do it. And they kind of hear rumors of, of, uh, of someone that's actually going to step up to the plate. Uh, and they go, no, 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 no. Look, they've, made, they've, they've said it before. And they go, no, no, no. This guy's actually trying on Saul's armor. Like we think it's legit. And imagine the, the distinction in their minds when they see David start walking out there. They're going, oh, no. Are you, like, are you kidding me? Like, we had all these great expectations, and this guy, he's like a kid. He's not even wearing armor, and he's got, he's got a little piece of leather, you know, that he used to, like, he uses it to, 
chase off birds or something. Like, I'm sure that's all those uh, shepherd boys do. And they're just going, are you kidding me? Imagine the, uh, the dashed expectations when that happened. Let me give you another one. Um, anyone, <laughs> you will know about expectations if you've ever been married, right? Like, I thought marriage was like this. Nah, 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 it's not at all like that. <laughs> not at all. You know, I, uh, for me, like, I thought, I thought wives were totally okay with uh, husbands just having sports cars. Like, what, what, like, what's wrong with that, you know? Like, what's, is that, is that, a, is that a thing? And uh, I, I learned that one pretty early on in marriage. Um, my, I, I still remember my, my gracious wife taking my, um, my sports car to do the groceries in. It's like two-door, really low, scraped every time you went over a speed bump, like smelled like exhaust, like just going, she had some patience with me. But my expectations were like, is, this is normal, right? <laughs> She's going, oh, Matt, oh, Matt, it's all uphill from here, bud. Perhaps, perhaps you can relate. Perhaps there's, um, there's areas in your life where, um, where expectation hasn't met reality and there's been like this, this confusion and you just kind of get stuck going, look, where did I go wrong? Like what, what was wrong? I had, I had a picture in my mind, but it wasn't at all like that. You know, somewhere along the way, something switched and it seems like uh, things went wrong. Even this morning, this morning, sitting here in this service, you have certain expectations of what the service will be like, of how hot you're going to be, of how comfortable or uncomfortable, how uh, entertained, how engaged you might be. I wonder what your expectations are this morning. Part of the reason that we, before someone preaches, but part of the reason that we pray is that we want to align your expectations with reality. God is going to speak to us. You know, like, let's just leave it at that, okay? The last two weeks we've been looking at uh, Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament. Uh, we, we looked at the Pentateuch uh, two weeks ago, and last week we, we kind of looked at, at the history books. And now we're just going to sit in the prophets for a little bit, really, really quickly. Uh, so we're going to check in on Israel. So I read from Isaiah 9, and just a few thoughts to uh, help... Uh, build a sense of understanding of this text, the role of the prophets uh, in, in the Old Testament was to pronounce judgment and deliverance. So generally, um, you'd see in, in the book of the prophets, you'd see a, a series of short-term uh, sort of judgments, uh, and then, and then in, at other moments, you'll see sort of short-term uh, deliverances. God will rescue. God will save you. Uh, this, this is happening. And then every now and then, you'll see a little glimpse just like this little glimpse in the middle of the prophets uh, at, at a future uh, prophecy. at something that's actually not going to happen short term. It's going to happen long term. And, and uh, we call those messianic prophecies. Like there's a, a bit of a hint at a Messiah, at someone who will come and they will deliver Israel for once and for all. It's like it, someone's coming, guys. Someone is coming and it, he's going to change everything. They say, um, they say true prophets are like good doctors. They diagnose the case, they prescribe a remedy and warn the patient what will happen if the prescription is ignored. You see that time and time again throughout the prophets. You see like a, a bit of a diagnosis. You've fallen away. You've ignored God's commands. You've neglected Him. You've, you've gone to other gods. A remedy 
Come back to God. <laughs> Repent. Humble yourself. Come back to God and He will answer. And then a warning if, uh, if that's ignored. Let me give you a few, just quickly, a few messianic prophecies in the Bible. Isaiah, two chapters before this, uh, Isaiah 7 says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Now just, just remember, you guys are going, yeah, I get it. Just remember who this was spoken to. Like, that, they're going, what? Like, what's that got to do with anything? A virgin having a child and he'll be called Emmanuel. Like, what has that got to do with anything right now uh, for Israel? Isaiah 61 uh, verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Again, you straight away you're going, oh yeah, I know, that's the, the text that Jesus read uh, when he opened the scrolls. And that's you know that, that time uh, on the Sabbath where he stood up and read that. We're going, yeah, that, that, that's, that's a prophecy about Jesus. Just again, rem- remind yourself who this is actually spoken to. And the people that are hearing this and going, what? Like, okay, like who are you talking about? Who is this person? Zechariah 12 says this, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him. They're talking about Jesus on the cross, right? You're getting these little glimpses of Jesus. Now we can see it. We're going, yeah, it's Jesus. Like it's really clear. Uh, but uh, the people in the Old Testament don't have the same view that we have. One more, Second uh, Samuel seven twelve. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So Israel, uh, in in the Old Testament, particularly in the the latter Old Testament, they are just eagerly awaiting Christ. And they have a picture in their minds. Like they have an expectation. This is the picture in our minds. A king is coming who will reign, who will overthrow our enemies, who who will conquer and will govern us. And he'll be without flaw. Like finally, someone is coming who will make everything right. You know, in Isaiah, we, we read just about their, their situation. We read about their circumstance. We read about um, enemies coming against them time and time again. And they get overthrown. And then they conquer back. And then they get overthrown. And then they conquer back. And they're, they're just in the midst of, of war. And we have, you know, judgment uh, from God about internal sin. And uh, you, just, you can just hear the longing that they have for a saviour. And uh, you can see, I want to make a distinction here that there is uh, an external problem for them and there's an internal problem for them. Uh, I'll read you a, um, I'll read you a, just a short section here of a, a, a commentary on uh, where the religious leaders were at before Jesus. What, what they were thinking. What are they thinking about the Messiah? What is... Uh, what are they sort of expecting there? 
God help us to hear this. This indeed was the ever-present want. In the absence of felt need of deliverance from sin, we can understand how rabbinic tradition found no place for the priestly office of the Messiah and how even his claims to be the prophet of his people are almost entirely overshadowed by his appearance as their king and deliverer. What they're saying is they didn't want a prophet and they didn't want a priest. What they really wanted is a king. Like it's a really political sort of uh, want that they have uh, for, their, for their context. Uh, pressing the more heavily as Israel's national suffering seemed almost inexplicable while they contrasted so sharply with the glory expected by the rabbis. So the, the rabbis were expecting a king, someone to come in with power and to rule. Now listen to, um, just imagine, I'm just, I just want us to try and think like Israel for a second. It's really easy on our side, but try and think like Israel. They had all these pictures in their minds of how Jesus would come and he'd overthrow the government and he'd crush all of their enemies and he'd, he'd reign in power over them and they'd have this perfect ruler and it wasn't at all like they thought. Listen to Isaiah 9 where, where we read just before of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end and they're going i am not seeing it i'm not seeing it help me to see that listen to psalm 89 how long O lord will you hide yourself forever how long will your wrath burn like fire remember how short my time is for what vanity have you created all the children of man what man can live and never see death who can deliver his soul from the power of shale lord where is your steadfast love of old which by your faithfulness you swore to David. There's a longing in the heart of Israel. God, when will you come? When will you deliver us? I'm going I'm to play you a clip uh, from, uh, this is by Desiring God, about a, uh, a woman uh, called Vanitha. And I'll just, just quickly, I want to show you this whole thing, but it's too long. Uh, but I'd encourage you to watch it uh, at home. So I'm going to show you a section in the middle but Vanitha, um, to fill in the details, she's just suffered so much, like so much her entire life. She's had uh, 21 surgeries by the time she turned 13 on her body. She spent years in hospital. Um, she, uh, multiple miscarriages as a young wife, uh, the death of a child uh, at two months old, uh, verbal and physical bullying from schoolmates, uh, a debilitating progressive disease, uh, long-term riveting pain, unwanted divorce, and abandonment. Now listen to, just catch the glimpse of what God is doing here. Listen to this. I had my first surgery in England when I was two, and that was a really traumatic time, I think, for my family because they realized, like, my life was going to be very, very different. And then I had 21 operations between then and when I was 13. young. I mean, lots of kids made fun of me. When I was seven, these kids pushed me over and they called me a cripple and they made fun of me. 
every day when I was a kid, somebody asked me, what's wrong with you? Every day, happened every single day. And so you just feel like you're so different from everyone else and you don't fit in. And so I just, I was pretty angry then. Let's work on it for a few visits and then we can go from there. Okay. I, I guess I really didn't think about God that much, but whenever I did, I just felt, I'm, I'm mad at you if you do exist, but you probably don't because you wouldn't be that cruel. I remember just saying, okay, God, if you're real, show me. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe I should look at the Bible. And I had had a Bible that when I got, when I was confirmed, which was years before in our church and didn't really ever open it. I mean, I think it was still in the plastic. So I like unwrapped it and sat on my bed. I'm like, okay, show me that you're real. You know, I flipped open. I remember reading all kinds of stuff thinking, you know, this doesn't make any sense to me. Why did all this happen? Like, explain this to me. And I flipped over the Bible to John 9. The disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus says, it is not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God would be displayed in his life. I just felt like God was talking to me. It was unlike any experience I'd had before. It became completely clear to me. God had a purpose in my life. I just felt like God must be completely against me. I really, really thought I couldn't make it. And there are days that I would just like lay on the floor of my room and just cry and say, God, you've got to get me through this. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. There is trouble, and God knows there's trouble, but God rescues us in the midst of trouble and not necessarily from it. And I found that to be even a deeper promise than you won't have trouble, but I'm gonna be with you in it. Just hit next. Isn't that beautiful? Like, isn't that, isn't that just incredible? The Messiah, think of the Israelites awaiting this uh, Messiah to come and do away with all their problems. And we, we hear here, we hear, or we listen to Vanitha, and she's going, Look, the Messiah didn't come to remove us from trouble. He came to join us. Emmanuel, right? Emmanuel, God with us. And you just see there's this expectation of this Messiah to come and just to, would you just conquer all of our enemies, remove all of our trouble? And Jesus comes as a baby. It's like, are you sure? <laughs> like, what? Like, really? You're going to do that? I'm not seeing it. But what the hope that we see in that is that the Messiah didn't come to remove us from trouble, but he came to join us amongst it. That doesn't sound like the Messiah coming in and cleaning house, does it? 
like just coming in and just sweeping everything away and making everything right. It actually looks like he gets himself into a world of trouble. If you read uh, Isaiah 53, the prophecy about uh, the suffering servant and the way the servant uh, is marred beyond recognition, pierced for our transgressions. Just going, wow, it doesn't actually look like he's cleaning house. But the hope for us is that God is with us in our trouble. You know what else I think that uh, it leads us to? The, uh, the, the beautiful reality that Jesus, yes, he joins us in our trouble and he delivers us from it. All this, like, all this isn't to say that Christ doesn't rescue us. He certainly does, but not in the way that we think. Our expectations are sometimes wrong here. The religious leaders wanted someone to come in and overthrow the government and restore the nation of Israel. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that, but he delivered them and he delivers us from a far greater trouble. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. He takes our expectations and he takes the things that we think we need and he blows them out of the water. You think you know what you need today? No way. You don't just need liberation from an oppressive government. No, no, no. You need liberation from sin. The one thing that can crush you and can cause death for eternity. You think you'll have peace if I overcome your physical enemies, you think that will really give you peace? No. You need peace in your heart. Jesus joins us in our trouble and he delivers us from it, but not always in the ways that we would think. If Christmas is a hard time for you at the moment, consider this. This is the moment in history that God's great plan to redeem us became flesh and joined in on our world, joined in on our trouble, on our humanity, in our pain and in the, in the dirt. Jesus joined in so you can have hope in your trouble. In the middle of the cries of God's people in the Old Testament, how long, God, when are you going to restore us? What are you going to do about all this? You hear the cry of a baby in humility, in quietness and meekness come to save humanity. And by God's grace, you see it. You see, you, you connect the dots and you go, yes, I see it. It wouldn't be victory if God just removed everyone from trouble. Because we're the trouble ourselves sometimes. Like I'm the trouble. How is God going to claim victory if he just removes us from trouble? But... That would just be escape, wouldn't it? Like, let's just run away, quick. Everyone, come with me. Let's leave this. But, oh, the victory that it would be to join them in it. To become a man. The strength and the sovereignty that would display to join us in our trouble and ultimately die to secure us for God forever. What a victory that would be. Not only does Christ walk with you through trouble, he uses it to dispense His grace. Your trouble becomes a means of receiving 
God's grace. What hope we have in that. Vanitha, later on in this clip, says this, I feel like it was God's grace to give me suffering because it has made me deeper and made me love God and I wouldn't trade that for anything. What? Like what? Like that? Are you hearing that? I feel like it was God's grace to give me suffering. We can have hope this Christmas because Jesus came to rescue us. And I'll finish with this. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. We need someone who will govern us and administrate peace in our hearts. We need that. We so desperately need that. Doesn't it just feel like there is no end to restlessness sometimes? Like you wake up and you're just restless. It's just, it's, it's just there. It is present. It is restless. Don't you know that you need peace? And it's really hard to find sometimes. <laughs> Anyone who's been married knows this, right? Like, gee, I would just like some peace here. Or if you had kids, man, it would be nice if there was a little bit of peace here. <laughs> like, this wasn't at all what, what I was expecting. In any sort of conflict, you get a, that sense of restlessness. Jesus came to bring us peace. And not the peace that you think but peace with God. We can be restored to God. In Christ, there will be no end to peace. Let me, uh, let me just give you an illustration and um, we'll sing to, uh, to finish. So uh, the band, you can come up. Jesus is the, is the gift of a loving Father. I was always, um, always amazed by the... Um, you know, you hear outrageous stories from, from parents uh, in culture and, uh, and you're just going, that's pretty outrageous for a, a parent to do that. Um, I want, we've, all, we've all here probably heard about the story of, of Michael Jackson with the media hanging his, uh, his baby over um, four, four stories, over the balcony at four stories high because it's just like, I was overwhelmed and I was excited and I didn't know what to do and so I hung my baby over the edge. It's like, okay, uh, that's a bit outrageous. Um, what are you doing? You know, you, like you're putting your, your kid in, in harm's way. Or uh, there's this other story uh, from Bear Grylls. He built a, um, an 80-foot water slide. They own an island um, off of the shore of Wales, and he built an 80-foot water slide on the side of the cliffs. Like 80 foot, like that's nearly 25 meters long. A steel water slide, so you can slide down this, and there's like at least a 10-meter drop-off at the end into the water. You're going, sick. <laughs> I'm going, that is awesome. But ever, the media is just going, no, 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 too risky. Shut it down. Jesus is the gift of a loving father. And we see, don't you see the outrage of this? God willingly put his son in harm's way. I'm sending the Messiah as a baby, dependent, weak, insignificant, outrageous. I trust that that blows your expectations this Christmas. That Jesus came as a baby. The perfect offering needed to restore us to God. You should be really excited, kids. You as well. You should be really excited about buying someone a gift this Christmas. You should be really stoked about that because you have the best gift ever. 
Jesus is everything you'll ever need. Kids, you should be stoked to be making something or, or building something or buying something for, for other people because you've been given the greatest gift of all in Jesus. When Jesus came as a little baby, he blew away the world at Christmas time. He came into the world not to remove us from trouble, but to give us himself. I pray that you see your gift this Christmas.